Welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes review show. So we're going to be hitting you up with another week's worth of reviews. We're going to be focusing on the 2nd of June 2021 releases. So releases from a couple of weeks ago. So of course it will be spoiler filled. So your host as always, Alan, uh, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And I'm delighted to be joined as ever by my good friend and cohort, Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am not bad, not bad. Getting back to... uh... To being back at work uh, after a week off today was a was a was a pretty pretty heavy day, um, and I'm already looking forward to the weekend, uh, <laughs> which is never a good sign. But uh, hopefully it'll come sooner than later. I uh, I've been making my way through my most recent pull list, and I think I'm going to be through it in time for New Comic Book Day tomorrow. Uh, so that's a turn up for the books for a change. Uh, normally I'm I'm sitting with a new pull list and half of my pull list on red. So this is. This is good news. This is good news. This is clearly karma because I bragged a few weeks ago that I f- had finished my pull list on New Comic Book Day on a Wednesday night. I was so proud of that fact I had to share it with everyone and now we're about to have a New Comic Book Day and I still have half of mine from last week to read. But we'll not focus on that. I've, I've read everything we're going to be chatting about tonight, so that's the important thing. But yeah, as ever, before we jump into the, the review section of it, we'll just have a look at a few different bits and pieces news-wise that caught our eye. We always kick things off with some comics news. And, and I saw a new series announced, uh, which will no doubt be in the next uh, previews catalogue. This is a new Deathstroke title, so Deathstroke Inc. Now, Deathstroke is not normally a character I would be massively motivated to to follow, but as ever, you follow the creators, and this is going to be a new one written by Joshua Williamson and drawn by Howard Porter. So I think we'll both come to this from different directions. I mean, I come to it very much as the, you know, love Nailbiter. I, I love what he started on Robin, for example, so far, but you're obviously a huge fan of uh, Mr. Williamson's Flash Run, so will that be enough to tempt you into this? Yeah, I mean that, and what he, as you just said, what he's doing on Robin. Those first two issues have been fantastic. He has me enjoying a character who I don't like on principle. Um, so, so yeah, I'm looking. I'm, I think I'll be looking forward to this. We're seeing a wee bit of. I wonder, is it a case of you know the DC have looked at Robin and looked at Ravager, who I believe is Deathstroke's daughter, is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. Who's featuring very heavily in that series and gone here, Joshua? Do you fancy? Uh, a wee bit of Deathstroke action. Well, I wonder, I mean, we chatted about it before, where DC hopefully going to use those backup stories as ways to gauge a popular uh, a character's popularity and then maybe spin a series out of it. So, of course, they, they did Robin backups and Batman and Detective, and then obviously they've introduced a lot of characters in the Robin series that's selling well, critically doing well. So maybe it's a case of spinning out from there, which is a, which is a good way to do it. So this is going to be released September 28th. Looks like it's going to be a 12-issue miniseries with the synopsis of, after suffering too many losses, Slade Wilson decides it's time for a change. When he's enlisted to work with an ages-old secret organization called Trust, who want to take down the heavy-hitter villains, he's all in. So again... All about following the creators. New Josh Williamson penned number one at DC Comics. I'm there. Uh, another publisher whose work we've obviously been massively enjoying is AWA uh, Comics. So this stands for Artists, Writers and Artisans. We've always praised how their work has been very genre specific, how it's been very self-contained, how it's been four issue miniseries, six issue miniseries, that kind of thing. Well, it would appear that they're now launching a film and television division called AWA Studios. So they are really not hanging around they have uh, hired zach student who's a former executive of john wells productions 
to act as the president and he came out and said in the 16 months since we released our first books AWA has published 22 original series in 86 comic length episodes with nearly 250 new characters and established ourselves as an industry leader in terms of our treatment of our artists and writers and for the significance and quality of their work. I mean, they've got a built-in library ready to go there. They've got different genres taken care of. They've got horror. They've got thriller. They've got zombie. They've got uh, superhero. They've got porn thrillers. Uh, they have all <laughs> sorts of stuff there. So this this looks great. I mean, imagine an American Ronin movie. I mean, visually, that could be fantastic. You know, they've got comic writers working for AWA, like J. Michael Straczynski, Garth Ennis. You know, they've got Mike Diodato as an artist. You look at something like Redemption, we said was just begging for a film adaptation. This this I mean, looks yeah. like good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that is, is, is coming to my mind is a, is a chariot. Uh, of course. TV show. <laughs> you know, that would be... With David be Hasselhoff as the main character, of course. Uh, uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. But, uh, you know, and then, as you say, you know, Redemption, it, it's like Diodato has already chosen the actors that he wants to play the parts. This is how uh, easy it is. You know, they've, you know, they've they've cast half of the AWA titles. I mean, Bad Mother was the same. There was a lot of characters in it. You can tell Diodato likes to, you know, take from real life uh, actors, you know, their features, that kind of thing. And, you know, call up Linda Hamilton. She must be on board for Redemption, surely. You know, and uh, then you've got, you got people like JMS, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, you know, on, on his uh, superhero book. But, JMS has got a, a long history of writing for TV. Uh, Babylon with, 5. With Babylon 5 and others. Um, Garth Ennis has had some of his properties already turned into uh, TV shows, Preacher, The Boys, those sorts of things. So I think they're, uh, they're, they're definitely off to, a, well, certainly off to what looks like a good start. And I'll be looking forward to seeing the first announcements, you know, from that, you know, the, 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 the film and TV that'll be coming out of the, that ever-expanding IP library. Um, so interesting stuff, but I could I could take anything that I've read from AWA now and and go, yep, that would be a that would be a good job. That would make a good, uh, you know, like a, a lot of them would maybe make Chernobyl style TV series with regard to the format, you know, mm-hmm. three or four episodes. Yeah. Uh, you know, something like that, rather than than big long twelve or, you know, multiple series sort of things. But yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, you could see the likes of Year Zero being perhaps more television-based because that's obviously set all over the world. It would almost be like an anthology series with showing how different people react all over the world to this. The Resistance would possibly be television-based. But I think the rest of them, just with them being one volume or so, would probably be set up more for movies. But yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out for announcements for that and keep you guys up to date and let you know what we're looking forward to most. I mean, if it is a, a, a comic imprint you're looking at getting into... You know, they release the graphic novels £9 a pop at a time for complete stories. So uh, we, we try our best to keep those all in stock as well. Uh, one thing we couldn't keep in stock this week, and yes, kids, settle in. It's time for an Alan's secondary comic market rant. Uh, I promise to keep it short this week. But yeah, a title came out there last week called Web of Spider-Man. It was very, very underordered. I had maybe three pre-orders for it. So I ordered in like maybe six copies there, thereabouts. Just a few extra. Spidey will usually sell, but... This just, I know if Keith's not on a Spider-Man title, it's probably not worth bothering him on. And this looked very kiddie. It was set up to coincide with the theme park that they're they're launching and so forth. But on the day it came out, uh, you know, maybe this is my fault as well for following all these different comic apps that show values and trending titles and all this kind of thing. But it was a £15 book within a day simply because it had a character in it who was introduced in Iron Man 3. 
Uh, they were introducing this character. It was the kid who helped him, I believe, build the Iron Man suit up again after it had sort of short-circuited. After he had abandoned Pepper. After he had, you know, decided to tell the Mandarin where he lived and then was surprised when the Mandarin turned up. Okay, uh, this isn't what your rant is about. <laughs> it, it, it can easily devolve into it. But <laughs> yeah, it's just it's the same again. It's just a secondary market. It's so frustrating. I mean, this looked like a Spider-Man book that was maybe aimed at a younger audience. Yep. You know, five issues, short run, easy for them to follow, bright and colorful. And again, the secondary market just ripped it to pieces. So I put a couple on the website and just they just went like that. But I may have one spare copy in the store just in case that young kid does come in looking for the title, not obviously knowing the dark side of the comic industry, but you know, leave comics for readers, guys, in the first week. Don't 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 be that guy. Don't be that guy. Mm, that's a short run uh, for today. Yeah, that's disappointing. I mean it did it certainly did look like, you know, a a more younger reader oriented sort of a sort of a book. Um but yeah, it's just it's it's funny. That that kid last appeared in an endgame actually at the uh, the funeral of Tony. Uh, slightly more, slightly more grown up uh, than he was in Iron Man three. But uh, yeah, as you say, I had no real interest in it because it did look. Spider Man's a great character because he he can go down that real kid oriented, yeah, you know, route. Um, so yeah, that that's disappointing because you know for all of those idiots that picked up a book to make money on it, there's a kid who potentially that could have been the route into comics. You know what I mean? That's very, very, very frustrating. Yeah. That it is, that it is. But again, we, we try to keep a copy or two back just in case, you know, same as we did with Batman Fortnite. And, and that worked out all right in the end. And we made a lot of people happier that way. So, but yeah, no, looking at the TV movie news sort of while we saw there's there seems to be the rumor getting a lot of traction at the moment that Punisher is going to be coming back to the MCU, possibly through the Moon Knight series that Oscar Isaac has been teasing more and more on social media. Uh, Vicky and I only recently finished The Punisher Season 2, which was, you know, just a lot of fun. Uh, it's always a weird thing to say, a lot of fun for a series that has about 250 fatalities in it. But... Oh, wow, that was quite uh, <laughs> quite violent. Uh, but what do you expect from The Punisher? Um, you know, that's part of the character's remit, I guess, and part of the book's remit. And you say The Punisher, whenever you say The Punisher, you mean John Bernthal playing him? Apparently so. I mean, this, this would be quite... Uh, quite significant because we we keep hoping that the likes of charlie cox will maybe be introduced he's the perfect matt matt murdoch he's the perfect you know daredevil jessica jones is brilliantly cast luke cage you know there's no reason not to bring these guys across you know other than ego and we'll do these characters ourselves but they have an inbuilt audience they have a clamor for them to be introduced into this uh, universe so i think it would be silly not to do it well, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly keep, we'll keep an eye on that and see if it goes beyond rumor and into something that is confirmed. Uh, one thing you'd brought up, uh, I see that the Lord of the Rings universe is con- going to continue to expand. Yeah, I mean, obviously we have the upcoming Amazon uh, TV series set in the in the Third Age, um, which is set before the the events of Lord of the Rings, and is going to look at the the rise of Sauron, but. Uh, and this does seem to be much more confirmed than our, our Punisher rumour uh, that Warner Brothers Animation and New Line Cinema are set to produce a new anime feature to be theatrically released and set in Middle Earth again long before the events of, of Lord of the Rings. It's titled War of the Rohirrim. Uh, it's a standalone feature and it's said to focus on one of the most legendary figures in Middle Earth history, Helm Hammerhand, the ninth king of Rohan. Uh, if you remember, the Rohirrim are the are the horse lords that uh, appeared very much in the Two Towers. So it'll expand on the story of that 
fortress that bears Hammerhand's name, Helm's Deep, which again was the key to to uh, to the two towers. Um, the entertainment is going to be handled by Sola Entertainment, which is well known for its work on Rick and Morty and the God of High School, and voice casting is underway. Um, so it looks like there's already some superb talent involved, um, and apparently the Oscar-winning Lord of the Rings trilogy co-writer uh, Philip Aboyans will return to consult on the project, which is being fast-tracked for the big screen. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. With There seems to just be a real renaissance and interest in Lord of the Rings because it's really depressing to think that those movies came out 20 years ago. <laughs> but <laughs> Not- they are so good, so good, and they, they're they the sort of movies that will that will never age badly Yeah, because of where, how and where they're set and the... They're just, uh, they, you know, what, what they did there was to, I guess, adapt what many thought was an unadaptable series of books that very much needed to be adapted. Yeah. <laughs> and they did a fantastic job doing it. We are, of course, referring to the extended editions. Uh, the only editions. Know. Yeah, yeah. Not, that's not to say the theatrical editions are bad. The extended editions are just complete. Yeah, that's that's a nice way of putting it. You know me, I love a wee extended edition, Keith, as you well know. But yeah, I mean, Lord of the Rings was like going back to it. It was a phenomenal risk what they did there. They shot all three films back to back without even knowing if they were going to be successful. You know, they, they took a huge cast in New Zealand. They shot so much of it, you know, on location. It was such a big risk. I mean, and a lot of the actors weren't well known at the time. I mean, Viggo Mortensen was, was pretty much a nobody in terms of, you know, weight in Hollywood and so forth, same with Orlando Bloom, even Ian McKellen to a degree was seen as a theatre actor, fair enough he was you know, coming in as Magneto I suppose in the uh, in the X-Men movies, but he was seen more as a, a thespian, a more you know serious uh, theatrical actor and oh, just the Lord of the Rings, they're perfect movies if you ask me so yeah. uh, I'll, I'll look forward to, hopefully they can recapture some of that and as you say, if they have some of the original you know, production crew and the original writers coming on board that, hopefully that can lend that authenticity to it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of sort of TV and, and so forth, I mean, obviously Loki has uh, graced our screens now, coming out on a Wednesday instead of a Friday. Boo! Stick mm-hmm. to the Friday format. Uh, I haven't watched episode one just yet. Vicky and I are going to watch one and two back to back when it hits this week. So, but can can you give us your initial spoiler-free uh, reaction? Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, you had asked me previously how long the episode was, and I had to look it up because I mean it's it's six forty to fifty minute episodes, but there was so much jammed into one episode uh, that it, it it was hard to judge just how. You, how long it was it was a real i guess you're seeing you're seeing uh loki tom hiddleston you know as the as the you know front and center but but owen wilson is there as a as a foil uh to him we're opening up a whole new uh area of the marvel cinematic universe but it's an area that's maybe a wee bit more familiar to uh to marvel readers with the uh, introduction of the time variance authority it comes off the back of everything that happened in endgame uh, and in particular, whenever the Avengers had to go back in time to the end of the original Avengers movie, 2012 Avengers movie, and uh, the Tesseract was sort of lost and Loki picked it up and disappeared. So it picks up immediately after that. And there's there's some rules and uh, organizations in place to, uh, I guess, to stop that sort of thing happening. So it really is, it really is very clever. The visuals are, are really enjoyable. Um, very different from from both WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, but but Tom Hiddleston just loving life, I think, 
um, and a lot of there's a lot of stuff, a lot of I guess uh, what I call them, Easter eggs and and what have you. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Bruna also uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting six episodes. Well, we will definitely endeavour to get the first two watched before we record next, and then we can maybe have a bit more of a deep dive into it. Certainly, the way we did with one division and and even more significantly with falcon winter soldier so i'm looking forward to watching it's just been one of those weeks but yeah i'll sit down to watch episode one and two this week and then just on the the movie side of things as well it just seems the production is just wrapped on thor love and thunder now thor love and thunder is obviously going to be a significant marvel movie it's possibly the first marvel movie where they're maybe bestowing i suppose you could argue with captain america in the tv show they obviously moved the Captain America mantle onto Sam by the end of that, but you know, with this being moved on to Jane Foster, they've managed to bring Natalie Portman back for this. This is certainly going to lean very heavily on one of your favorite favorite Thor runs. Oh yeah, I mean Jason Aaron's run is going to have to feature very very much in this, but um, uh, you know, take away TD is the is the the helmer of this, and he has said you know during the the. the the recently wrapped production ahead of its its planned release next summer, uh, he has said that this film goes way further into the eccentric and the insane than his previous entry, which was Thor Ragnarok. Um, we're going to see Chris Hemsworth, as you say, returning as, as Thor, but Natalie Portman also back as Jane Foster, who apparently will be taking on the mantle of the mighty Thor. <clears throat> Christian Bale's in there, Russell Crowe, Tessa Thompson, Jeff Goldblum, Chris Pratt, uh, Plum Clementif, so uh, Dave Batista, Current Gillen, Sean Gunn. So we're going to be seeing the Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously, with the way things uh, finished up there with uh, with Endgame, and Sam Neill's in there as well uh, as Matt Damon and Vin Diesel. So I think we've got a, a May sixth, twenty twenty two release for Thor: Love and Thunder. And just to clarify, that is Karen Gillan, not Kieran Gillan, who we often speak about <laughs> on this podcast. But who knows, maybe he'll make a, a little cameo in there as well. But yeah, it seems to be leaning really heavily on Jason Aaron's Thor run between the God Butcher being in there, between Jane Foster as, as Thor and so forth. So uh, I know that's one of your favorite comic runs of all time, any character. So And I know you're uh, picking it up. Uh, and trade i picked up the single issues actually i picked up the first 25 oh. of uh jason Aaron's Thor. i it, it sounds terrible that i picked it up uh, almost as if i'm speculating but no i just you've always told me what a good run it is and i just i'm more of a single issue guy when it comes to those sort of long form runs so i'll, uh, mm. I'll definitely look forward to tucking yeah. into that and uh you've uh, switched your format on the youtube shows yeah I yeah i mean uh, we were we were obviously releasing a youtube show weekly as much as possible Detailing new stuff coming in the store, detailing stuff on my pull list, reviews, different bits and pieces. But I always got the impression it was maybe asking a lot for people to look at this mug for 35 minutes. So I just sort of thought, let's break it down. We've put it in the segments. I've adopted the Marvel Point uh, format uh, when they were sometimes doing events. They would do like a point one issue, point two issue. DC did it with the, the Villains Month, I seem to remember, in the New 52 as well. So... It's just about putting shorter videos on there. Maybe you can get to the content that interests you a little quicker. So, uh, yeah, we're trying our best to get those uploaded every Wednesday. Uh, because the delivery arrives on a Monday now, I have a bit more freedom on a Tuesday to record stuff, whereas usually the sweat's lashing off me. I'm panicking, trying to get pull lists ready. But, no, the, this new Monday uh, delivery schedule is incredible, and it's amazing. Just don't it makes. it. 
Don't scud it. Yeah, please don't listen to this podcast, Diamond Comic Distributors, and decide, hey, we're going to mess with them. And, and I have to say, I tend to have to look at your face uh, more than 35 minutes any given week, so everybody else should count themselves lucky. You really should count yourselves like that's an ex- that you have no excuse not to look at this mug for thirty five minutes, <laughs> no excuse whatsoever. So, but yeah, let's go do it sort of in terms of the intro and the news and so on and so forth. So we're gonna jump into some comics reviews and we're gonna be once again going over titles from the second of June releases and again just a fair warning, spoiler filled as ever. You know, again we we spoke about it in the previous pod. We're leaving the reviews a little longer. It gives you guys time to catch up as well, and then hopefully you can, you know, give a listen a bit more, not worrying about having things spoiled for you before you get a chance to read them. So, uh, so yeah, an interesting week this week. I mean, uh, Keith's gonna slaughter me here again. I tell you, uh, <laughs> I'm on 24 titles this week, uh, which included nine DC, two Marvel, and 12 indie, and I also had an indie original trade paperback as well called The Down River People. What about yourself? What were your totals this week? I was 22, so two behind you. Seven DC, um, so two less than you. 12 Marvel, so 10 more than you. <laughs> and two indie, so 10 less than you in that. I also had uh, one Marvel trade paperback. That was uh, Moon Knight, Bad Moon Rising. So collects the, a lot of the, the origin stuff of, of Moon Knight and the, the initial issues. And Moon Knight had a lot of appearances in a lot of other books before he finally got his own book. And this sort of you know, has a lot of those werewolf by night and all of those uh, those sorts of books. So I haven't had a chance to get into it yet. Uh, I hopefully will do tonight. Um, so I also picked up, uh, though I'm not including them, a couple of those DC uh, hardback reprints. Oh yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, the, uh, the DC graphic novel collection. So yeah, yeah. that's a, a little section in the store. We managed to get our whole our hands on a lot of those. They're all sort of seven pounds. You know, really good price for. Uh, for an original graphic novel, what was it you picked up? Was it the Neil Adams uh, Hard Traveling Heroes? Hard Traveling Heroes, which have been you know the the Green Arrow, Green Lantern classic crossover that have, have has, has been a hole in my reading. And uh, was, was it, it a Superman? Superman Secret Origin was it? It was the uh, Jeff Johns Gary Frank team up there. So could have been, could have been. Yeah, yeah this, this is definitely an interesting week in terms of our numbers being so far apart because. You know, you obviously read a lot of indie as well, and you know, there's obviously a quieter indie week for you by mm. comparison. But you know, that too Marvel, like, I mean, that that's unforgivable, Keith. You know, that's, I mean, we're going to have to we're going to have to have a serious <laughs> talk uh, and do something about that, Alan. I think. Um, tell me, Down River people, did you get into it? I actually haven't. No, it's uh, it's an original graphic, so it is by Matthew Fox, not the same Matthew Fox who is in Lost. I may say, uh, I actually have it just here. This is an audio medium, so you can't see me reaching for my uh, graphic novel uh, collections here. But yeah, it's uh, it's on the reading list. I will get into it. I get this feeling this could possibly be a future book club for us to, to kickstart those again because I've heard nothing but amazing things. So okay. I will happily, happily through my copy. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. That's a release from um, Boom Studios. So Shall we get into the honourable mentions then? That we shall. So it's going to be uh, the usual format. So we'll flick through DC, flick through the Marvel stuff. You'll mostly be hearing Keith's voice there, but I'll chip in where I can. And then indie-wise, and then finish on our pick of the week. And it's it's just another interesting one as well when it comes to the pick of the week. You know, should I spoil the surprise now or should I leave it for later? I'll leave it for later. All right. Well, there's something very unique about the uh, the picks of the week this week, but we'll get to that in a bit. So, yeah, we kick things off with DC. So, of course, we have to do our usual check-in to Batman, uh, the James Tinian uh, written, Jorge Jimenez drawn title. So, 
hitting issue 109 now you know i'm i'm very much enjoying the horror aspects of this story arc you know obviously it's very uh focused on scarecrow uh there's an exceptionally creepy opening scene where we see uh, a sort of a a batman who's fighting back against the effects of scarecrow's fear toxin you know and and again this is taking place at an unknown time it's been drip fed through the issues which i think has been really really cool and there's a lot of slow build in this issue as well you know we obviously saw the uh the emergence of the magistrate and so forth in future state but we're starting to see that the origins of that you know take shape and the emergence also of of peacekeeper one hitting at this point and are we certain that the individual in the bat costume who is being chased and tortured by scarecrow is in fact bruce wayne i know we do see him call himself bruce but i, I just don't know I mean, I, I get the feeling it is Bruce simply because it's uh, the, there's the narration while he's um, while he is all over the place. And as you say, he does say push back Bruce. But then again, you never know. It could be possibly Ghostmaker in there because you never see the face clearly. And they do make a point in this of when Ghostmaker is changing. You don't see his full mm-hmm. face. So Yeah, yeah. true, true. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good Oracle action in this as well. But it's the Batman book, you know, is definitely the darker more intense maybe more mature of the the two core batman books we said before that detective is a wee bit more street level a wee bit more you know but it's a wee bit more exploration of 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 bruce and his neighborhood and so forth but yeah it definitely has that darkness and maybe it's just it's the nature of the villain you know the scarecrow is a as you say is a really creepy creepy villain um so maybe it's just that inclusion that does is darkening it down and up in the intensity it's interesting as well because normally you would think with the main Batman book it would be solely focused on Batman and Detective gives you that sort of freedom to explore other characters a lot more but in Mariko Tamaki and Dan Moore's Detective it's very much a Bruce Wayne centric story whereas Tinian's working with Batman, he's working with Ghostmaker, he's working with Oracle, he's working with Harley Quinn who's come into the fold as well and, and there's some great scenes in here with Harley and Ghostmaker especially it's a good four or five page scene as he sort of openly tells her that he's a bit of a psycho and but uh, that he's very fascinated by her there's just some great character work and interaction here yeah i mean tinny and created created ghostmaker and he is a he is a fantastic career car- character and i'm really interested in seeing more interaction between him and you know bruce slash the bat family great 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 piece of work with regard to the interaction as you say and ghostmaker being very happy to identify himself as a psychopath front and center and compare himself to harley in that way and that's something that batman's never keen to say that he also was probably a psychopath but but there you go and i absolutely loved harley's really casual sort of confusion as to what did she say you know so was this a you want to kill me situation or you want to bang me situation i thought that was yeah really enjoy what what Tillian's doing with uh with with harley and then the you know, looking back on on her relationship with the Joker and her relationship with with Poison Ivy and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Great, great five or six pages there. Yeah, and then we're starting to get into it a bit more as well with some more nefarious uh, characters in the book. You're starting to see a bit more of Simon Saint, who's becoming sort of a slow building, bigger and bigger threat with each issue. Uh, you can see he's obviously there in the origins of the the Magistrate program, and he's looking to you know frame the and it's the insanity collective isn't it mm, uh, as yeah. well 
and obviously he's now working on the process of creating this Peacemaker 1 as well. So it's there's, there's still a good bit of mystery here, though, as well. I mean, there's other characters we, we don't know so much about. Yeah, I mean, who is who is Bella Garten, the gardener? Seems to be linked to Poison Ivy in some way. Maybe that's that's a, a hole in my knowledge, is it? Or No, I think that's maybe just something that's going to be explored more and more. I think this was a character that Tinian created because I, I seem to remember with the Batman 1 to 25 variants, the character uh, design variants, she's on one of them as well. But she certainly seems to have some sort of relationship or past history with Harley. Certainly with Harley recognizer saying, Bella, is that you? So again, still some, some more threads to be pulled on there. And as you expect as well, I mean, the art continues to be absolutely stellar in this. It's Again, it's the biggest strength, and I, I set in this pod all the time, and I set in store all the time, the biggest strength of DC going monthly with batman but also doing the joker title means that they can have jorge Jimenez on art every issue and guillaume march can still do his great thing over on joker rather than the art going back and forth for a fortnightly release so mm. and then yeah it's great stuff the uh the ghostmaker backup story is is very very different kind of works as a as a counterpoint uh to the darkness of the tinny and stuff it's quite it's it's quite funny and lighthearted in some ways it's got a bit of a manga-esque flavor to me it's almost yeah. like exaggerated evil characters with big expressions and you've got this unstoppable force of nature and Ghostmaker that they're not going to be able to kill and he's just gonna sort of throw out as many witty barbs as he can the whole way through it but as you said it's almost like a nice palate cleanser because make no mistake this batman book at the moment is unrelentingly dark it really mm. is and it's exploring some dark stuff as well but yeah, it's a it's it's a cracking book. Really, really enjoying it so far. So yeah, if you're not on it, get on it. Batman 109. It's a couple of issues into this current story arc. The hardcover actually hits the the store this week. The previous one to this, uh, which is going to focus on the Ghostmaker arc. So you can get caught up in trades and then jump on the singles easily enough on this. So next up we have the Swamp Thing number four of ten. So. Again, we talk an awful lot about Swamp Thing in this pod. You know, the work that Ram V's doing in writing, the work that Mike Perkins is doing on art, Mike Spicer as well. His his art uh, colors, I should say, are very, very important to a title like this as well. You know, it's quite a quite an exposition-heavy issue, this one. You know, it, it takes place predominantly in the green as Levi is learning more and more about the place and, and the contagion that is plaguing it. We've got, you know, appearances from previous Swamp Thing alumni uh, having Alec Holland in this was was wonderful to see. He obviously turned up towards the end of issue three. You know, essentially we're we're learning the rules at the same time as Levi, and and that makes him an incredibly easy character to care about. And pun intended, root for. I'm really proud of that one. Really <laughs> proud. Uh, of it. Yeah, that felt like the first issue where Levi sort of took control a wee bit, uh, and and started understanding his fate as as the swamp thing and as the, the avatar of the of the green and i still love the you know the backdrop in this which you know is all cells and and the structure of leaves against rivers and and the increasing size of nature but it all being part of the green uh where it, where it moves from the the microscopic to the to the absolute to the landscape level and, and beyond it's but it all being part of the same thing that he has a link to and control over so yeah just yeah this is just a fantastic book and you know i felt for the first time uh, you know jennifer is is you know in the green she's trapped in the green there with with uh with jason woodrue who is you know kind of mysterious 
slightly sinister character. And it's not until, you know, Levi comes about as par and a swamp thing goes and finds her and is in her presence that you start to feel a wee bit safe for her mm-hmm. uh, as well. So there's a there's a threat there. Um, but yeah, Levi coming to understand, you know, what he might be and, and rebuilding their bodies whenever they come back into the, the world. And then you've got the, uh, the mysterious cigarette smoking man there. Uh, <laughs> nothing says evil like cigarette smoking man like does it yeah absolutely and the uh and i guess the uh the little twist in the tail with the appearance of amanda waller and the suicide squad indeed i mean the other thing i i just always have to point out with this book is this is one of the most beautiful books on the shelves like i i sort of made a point of calling it vertigo era special you know the, the swamp thing runs around them you know it, it deserves its place next to the likes of bernie wrightson and so forth who was there oh. in the beginning the the page layouts are so interesting there's this great page where alec holland's talking to levi about memory and there's all these you know cascading circles coming oh, out yes and you uh-huh. see hints from earlier runs and i love that the closest one to him the earliest memory is the cover from house of secrets 92 which was the first appearance of swamp thing so there's a real you know reverence for the history there you know, you see these great, beautiful landscapes. You see, it's just an absolutely gorgeous book. And you know that 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 page that you're talking about with the memories radiating out. What the what that was to me was the the rings and the and in the stem of a cup tree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. It's just really inventive with how it's put together. So, yeah. I mean, for me, if this continues at this pace and this level of craft and care. I really do think this will go down as a defining run. So we're four issues in at this point. So you've, you've still time to jump on the single issues. So so interested in what comes next, every issue. Uh, you know, and he, he maintains the mystery while telling the story. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, sure, why don't we jump on to another title then, which is Batman The Adventures Continue Season 2. So this is from Alan Burnett and Paul Dini with Ty Templeton on art. So... Why don't, why don't you take point in this one? What was your impressions of this issue? Yeah, I mean, great to see, great to see the book back. You know, as in that season format because it is based on Batman the animated series, uh, and this is issue one of of that season two. And to me, it continues to have that link to the animated series, absolutely capturing the look and the tone and the feel of the of what what to me is. One of the best on screen, the best on screen representation of Batman, uh, still, but it also, you know, introduces to the animated series new elements and new characters, you know, aside from what has already been established. And I know at least one of those elements probably had you up at night. Oh, absolutely! I still have nightmares about the Court of Owls ever since Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's defining run. I mean, that's what's so interesting about this—the animated series. You know, you're going back early '90s, but it shows you how much has been added to the Batman mythology by new creators and new writers in the you know the interceding thirty years because they're able to go back now and introduce characters that didn't exist when the animated series was on, but they slot into it effortlessly, like they do it so so well. You know, Court of Owls, you've got Dead Man in this as well. It's just an absolute joy. Great great sequences with with a talon that can actually, you know, see Dead Man as well, which just spooks him on top totally, of that. Of course the talon isn't entirely if it if it is William Cobb, who we believe it to be, uh, it isn't entirely alive, I guess. Yeah. Himself. So but speaking of the nineties, you can't help but love animated Nightwing's totally badass ponytail. <laughs> 
uh, I mean, badass is a bit of a stretch. Badass is a bit of a stretch. But, <laughs> you know, on, but then again, as, as Barbara tells him in this, you know, he is such a popular man. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's just so, it's just such an accessible comic book without all of that. You know, we've just talked about Batman 109 without all of that, that darkness and intensity that both mechs, but sometimes plagues the Dark Knight and his family, mm-hmm. uh, his family of books at least. Would you, would you consider the animated, you know, Batman the Adventures continue to be a kid-friendly book? I think it is kid-friendly. I mean, there's there's a certain level of darkness to it, and this obviously with the Court of Owls being introduced, but I think they've been able to tone down the origin and tone down the acts enough that it wouldn't look out of place as an animated adventures episode. And, you know, the Batman animated series was never afraid to skew down a little bit of darkness every so often, but at the same time remain kid-friendly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's any more violent or adult than the animated series itself, so I definitely think this is a good example of all ages. I would say so. Yeah, the the first trades out for the first season of the animated adventures continue. It focuses very much on Jason Todd and Red Hood, and then season mm-hmm. two's just kicked off in the old uh, the old single issues this week. Great stuff. And then you want to finish off the DC with a final Bat Family book. Uh, yes, indeed. So we also have this week issue three hitting of the next Batman Second Son. So this is a title that was digital first. That's now being collected in print. It's written by Oscar winner John Ridley, uh, art by Travel Foreman. And this is another strong issue that continues to shine a, a less than flattering light, shall we say, on the Fox family. So the next Batman is predominantly about the emergence of the next Batman for Future State. Uh, but what we're seeing here is we're we're seeing a little bit of family history. We're seeing the protective side of, you know, Lucius Fox, who, you know, you always look at Lucius Fox as sort of an upstanding member of society and he runs Wayne Enterprises and, you know, Bruce even trusts him with his entire fortune, basically, uh, to, to do the right thing. But, you know, he's even happy to operate outside the boundaries of the law and moral conduct to protect his son here, who uh, was involved essentially in a, it was a hit and run accident, wasn't it? And yeah, I mean, it was, and it was, I mean, he was, whenever you say he was involved, he was responsible for it. He was, you know, driving and texting and, and hit a guy, and then he was the one that uh, that, that ran off. Um, and, and, of course, then the Fox family, you know, his, his mother, the attorney, Tanya. Uh, yeah, Tanya. And, and, and Lucius, they they round to, to help their son, you know what I mean? There's, there's a racial element here, obviously. Uh, you know how, uh, as to how, the, you know the the law will will treat a black man, a young black man, even if he is, you know, rich. Uh, he's not doing himself any favors by submitting him to that and and letting him feel the full force of that. So there's that element as well. But it's also it's a flashback. So we're seeing how formative it is for, uh, you know, for the for the character. So Jace, as he now calls himself, uh, and I guess that's possibly the reason why he changed his name in the first place. Uh, but we're not we're not just sure that he changed his name from was it Tim? Yeah. Tim? Luke. Tim. Tim. No, Luke is the original, he's Batwing. The, the, the Batwing, yeah. So so yeah, it's as you say, really dysfunctional, really dysfunctional family. Um you know, even though they are, you know, up, rich and upstanding, um it's it's really interesting in the backstory with the the daughter and, and, and what's put her in the state she's in and uh, and that and then yeah, just, I, just this is this is a great book. This is a great book. 
Yeah, I get the feeling it's it's flying under the radar quite a bit. Like maybe not enough people have jumped on it. Maybe they're, you know, worried about a Batman book that doesn't, you know, focus on Bruce Wayne, for example. But I just find it really, really interesting. I mean, I, I said it to you just before we came on board to to record. But you know, it's really interesting that when you, you you look at the mythology of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Bruce never had a chance to see his parents as flawed in any way. You know, he died. Uh, the parents died when he was obviously very young. Therefore, they're you know, absolutely perfect in his eyes, you know, cut down in their prime, that kind of thing. Whereas in this, what Jace is, is seeing is that his family is flawed. They're willing to bend the rules to suit themselves, you know, when it comes to family and so forth. And it's actually just really interesting to then see how he backs away from that and goes out on his own uh, to, to essentially become Batman because Bruce becomes Batman. He's supposed to be the absolute epitome of like upholding the law and moral virtue and all this kind of stuff and whereas jace obviously comes from a very very dark background by comparison you know so yeah well I, I, definitely they're both they're both from privileged backgrounds you know just just a different kind of privilege you know but it's it's also interesting here in this backstory he's you know he ends up being sent out of the way effectively to avoid the uh to avoid the the consequences of his actions and he's enrolled in Sanford military academy uh, and he's boarded there, and that's where he, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He's a, a rich kid; he doesn't want to do it initially. But we're meeting the people. We're meeting the voice in his ear, Vol, mm-hmm. and uh, and Priya, who are both characters that have been part of his part of his past. You know, Vol is the is the character who, you know, is the I guess the man in the chair to the next Batman. Um, so we're we're seeing him here, uh, and and we're seeing the we're seeing the turnaround. You know, but uh, the only thing this this last month, the one thing that I've that has started to annoy me is the is the six or eight pages at the back of uh, at the back of a DC book because the, you're yeah. always you know advertisements and you're always sort of going oh I've got six more pages nope you don't no you don't <laughs> yeah I mean I, I did have to love that you know we have a book set in Gotham City but uh, we're getting some little little notes to our own little country as well so you know she's uh, sorry Jace is following a target and he's being told she's everything her father trained her to be. He was IRA, an expert in vanishing people during the troubles. Yes, so that's, uh, we'll never escape our history, will we? Definitely <laughs> not. That's uh, the Eva O'Rourke, isn't it? The, yeah. the girl that he's he's chasing, or at least the the uh, bodyguard of the girl that he's chasing. She uh, she takes apart some uh, some heavies without even putting her putting her phone down there at the start. So <laughs> not 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 a woman with whom to be met. Not at all. So, but yeah, keep an eye for this when it hits trade, guys. If you you have come this a little late. The first Future State uh, collection is actually due out this week as well. It's focusing on the next Batman, which is obviously set further down the line than this. So and definitely some good storytelling there. There is there is another series following up, next Batman series that's going to follow this up, which is also by John Ridley, I believe. I don't know if it's an ongoing or if it's another four or six issues. but So this is obviously a, something that, that DC are invested in. And uh, this has been a jump up from the Future State stuff, I feel uh for sure but uh yeah it's it's very very good and there was also a uh, a next batman actually no sorry there was a batwing story in the last uh, dc anthology mm-hmm. uh what did you call it dc urban legends, urban legends. Or the batman urban legends uh which had nightwing or night batwing uh the brother of, of the next batman and he's sort of very much at odds with his brother uh but in this story he's learning lessons from the things that, that they learned whenever they were kids so it's uh, it wasn't written by john ridley but it's definitely a nice side story yeah relative to, to the next batman so 
yeah good stuff great stuff very strong yeah the the follow-up series is going to be called i am batman and it's the okay. same team as this so john ridley writing and travel foreman on art so nice bit of continuity there as well and you know we love a bit of continuity in comics so oh yes so yes, that's the honourable mentions for the DC side of things. We're going to be jumping on to Marvel now. I'll apologise in advance. You're not going to hear my voice an awful lot as this was a week where uh, I had stepped away a little bit from Marvel. But there are some extenuating circumstances. I see the first book here. I just know Keith's dying to talk about this book more and more and more. And I've had a gap of the first 10 issues in my collection, so I haven't been able to read it. But I picked up those 10 issues today. Finally, thank you very much, Andrew McAvoy, for the hookup. Uh, so I will get on to reading this before we get to the end so we can talk about its conclusion in its fullest. What title are we talking about? We're talking about uh, Immortal Hulk number 47. And this the fact that this series continually features in our honourable mentions, despite the fact that I'm the only one reading it, uh, through no fault of Alan's, um, you know, should show you what a quality series it is. So this is the Immortal Hulk entering its endgame. It's going to be finishing at issue 50, and it's it enters that endgame with a knockdown, dragout, super brawl that swings back full circle to the beginning of the book, which was a Hulk versus Avengers fight. Now, the last time, it was just business, and they destroyed a town and left the Immortal Hulk literally in pieces. Now they're in the middle of New York City, fighting a very different kind of Hulk and the Avengers are taking it a lot more personally than they were the first time around. She-Hulk narrates this. Uh, she's obviously She-Hulk is a, is a member of the, the Avengers and Jason Aaron's run, the Savage She-Hulk. And we see her fighting a wee bit with her Jennifer Walters side and her Savage She-Hulk side and fighting a wee bit about, you know, she she knows she's a gamma monster and, uh, and the effects that it has on her. But it allows us to take a bit of an outside look in the Hulk you know, maybe the last outside look we're going to get and wonder who who the men are and who the monsters really are uh, as well. It's a totally solid story full of absolutely great and horrifying moments. At one stage, Thor, you know, strikes uh, Hulk's incoming fist with Mjolnir and just shatters his, his fist in his arm. And the quick healing Hulk just thrusts the shattered arm into Hulk's face, the Thor's face, and the the Hope forearm just heals around Thor's head, and you know captures him inside <laughs> inside Hulk's forearm. It's gross. And then there's Cap's recognition of his old sidekick, and Hulk's old sidekick Rick Jones. And Rick Jones is a very tragically altered character in Immortal Hulk. Uh, and and the look on the look on Cap's face as he realizes who he's talking to is chilling. It's it's totally awesome. And I am really looking forward to the last three issues of this arc, which is gonna be it's Al Ewing's character defining arc on Hulk. I have I've never enjoyed Hulk as much as I'm enjoying it now. And it's just with Joe Bennett, it's and, and, and Ewing, it's just that that real I don't know, Carpenter esque horror, you know, the body body shock horror is, is in it. It's just they've really brought out that They've taken some of the core elements of the Hulk and just ripped them out to the extreme uh, and, and to the logical the logical conclusion. It's, it's gone all over the place, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it's ending. Nice. Nice. Well, Donny Cates has some big shoes to fill once he takes over the, the Hulk line, even if it won't quite be a mortal Hulk. So, But yeah, no, I will be jumping into that, and I, I do promise, I solemnly swear, I will put it on tape right now. I will get caught up in anticipation for the end of the run so we can Ooh. talk about it properly. 
So, brilliant, brilliant. So that's Immortal Hulk 47. Um, What's up next? Next up is Marauders number 21 by Jerry Duggan. For me, this sort of, I was I was pegging this as the first de facto issue of the Hellfire Gala. Um, the Hellfire Gala is a really interesting event, and we we were having a bit of a, a talk about events and crossovers on our on our, our chat on our store chat this morning. You know, and how events sometimes cross over into books, and that's annoying because you're not collecting the rest of the event or, or whatever. But the format of this event is very very different from any other that I can recall because it's it's the same evening from many many different points of view. Each point of view contained within its own issue, and sometimes you'll see different elements of that same evening but from a from a different point of view so something that you've read in marauders will also maybe appear in x-force but from a different character's point of view so jerry duggan is the writer on marauders has been the writer on marauders uh the hellfire gala event has been conceived by jerry duggan jerry duggan has taken over the x-men uh title from from jonathan hickman and marauders is a title which chronicles the travails of the Hellfire Trading Company led by Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, and Kate Pride, who are also the hosts of the gala, hence the Hellfire Gala. And therefore, it, sent, it seemed logical to me that this would be a good jump-on point for, or, or certainly one not to miss for Hellfire Gala. And I was exactly right. It sort of introduces everything. We have the Avengers arriving through one of the gates uh, to to Krakoa and being gifted with the, with the flowers that would... Uh, you know that will identify them uh, telepathically we have the fantastic four arriving iron man arriving in a scene that you will really love because he's a total dick <laughs> we have dr doom arriving. keep selling it to me keep yeah. selling it to me <laughs> dr doom arriving the the uk ambassadors uh various uh celebrities including j jonah jameson and what looks like elton john uh, it shows shows me how out of touch I am with modern <laughs> with modern celebrities. Whenever I'm going, I don't know who that is, and then oh, there's Elton John. Uh, you know, so and then you know meeting uh, the various characters is a, a really interesting exchange between Charles Xavier and Reed Richards. The first exchange they've had since Chip Zdarsky's Fantastic Four X Men crossover, where the X Men effectively tried to kidnap uh, Reed's son. Uh, all of the costumes are in here. There's some really interesting, I guess, moments just uh, and, and, and concepts. And I think it, it really sets out the Hellfire Gala. I feel like the core of the Hellfire Gala is going to be planet-sized X-Men, uh, which is which is released, I think, next week or the week That's after. Right this week, yeah. Uh, and again, that's going to be penned largely by Jerry Duggan. But certainly if you're interested in getting your foot in the door of it, I think... I think this this will be interesting regardless of whether you're you, you've been on marauders from the start like myself whether you're interested in getting into the hellfire gala or, or or whatever but yeah very very good stuff in here and then it finishes out with a backstory an old chris claremont john bolton story of the the tale of a hellfire gala past that was hosted by the original uh hellfire club very very good tale and you can see how it how it links into to what's happening today. So, the uh, the Hellfire Gala is uh, is off one evening of the summer solstice. We've all been invited by host Emma Frost to celebrate mutant culture and strengthen Krakoa's friendships with the nations of man. Uh, gates are open at seven p.m. So uh, I hope you'll be coming along. Well, I've got spares of this in store, so I'll I'll grab a copy tomorrow and give it a go on your your hearty recommendation. Uh, but next up is a, a well-established character for you. I mean, just as I will 
read Batman to the day I die. I think you'll be reading Amazing Spider-Man till the day you die. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're right. I think. I think very much so. This is Amazing Spider-Man number sixty-seven by uh, by Nick Spencer and uh, and uh, Marcello Ferreira, along with uh, Carlos Gomez, helping out on on pencils. This is the first part of the Chameleon Conspiracy, and Nick Spencer continues to do what he has proven to be a specialty in Spider-Man, and that's making deep cuts into Spidey's long history and his rogues gallery, and producing really satisfying stories that enhance the character and he he also seems to really enjoy torturing everyone's favorite hard luck hero the web slinger along the way i mean we've seen you've seen nick spencer do this before on hunted uh which was a great a great crossover and, and really dug into the you know craven the hunter sort of stuff but here we have the return of betty brant peter's first sweetheart the return of Spider-Man's sister, Super Spy Teresa Parker, who was first introduced in 2014, along with Ned Leeds, a blast from the past there, and references back to the more recent Clones Conspiracy storyline, along with uh, references back to 1994's Power and Responsibility storyline, which kicked off the original Clone Saga and revealed that Peter's returned parents were the products of the Chameleon, uh, who appears here locked up in a Cymarkian prison uh, and seems to be set on convincing Teresa that she herself is is a like a clone robot reproduction similar to what Peter Parker's parents were back in that original storyline. And you know, as Chameleon was trying to convince her and she was asking the questions, I was becoming more and more convinced that it stacks up that that's exactly what she is. Uh, and I wouldn't be upset to find out that that's the case. But there's a lot going on in this issue. It's the first of a of a new story arc. And all the while, Kindred, there's the feeling, although Kindred doesn't appear in this, Kindred is has the feeling of lurking in the background, ready to, to strike again. The book bounces around a lot, story-wise, very much like, like Spider-Man does in a fight. But whenever Nick Spencer gets his eyes on something like this, or, or like what he did in Haunted, he really excels and shows his love and familiarity for the for the character and his, his rich history. So this is... I'm really, I'm really enjoying this. It's, it's a, again, it's a switch of gear. You know, Nick Spencer can do the, the slightly more four color stuff. You know, the, the boomerang uh, quest for the, 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 the lifeline tablet stuff that's been going on the last few issues, and then, and then jump straight into this, which just has a darkness about it that, uh, you know, that, yeah, and, and, and the character of Spider-Man allows him to do that, that gear switching because he exists very well in, in both. You know styles as we've also seen with with chip zadarsky's what if story mm-hmm. yeah i mean amazing spider-man's an interesting title for us because it used to be that i would order in just for pull lists and no one would ever ask for it and now we're actually seeing a lot of growth of it in store maybe it's just there's a lot of good jumping on points at the moment maybe we're spreading about the good work nick spencer's done so it, it always just makes the ordering process a little difficult for us sometimes i just have to give up my copy which is pretty much what i had to do at the start of this arc but clearly i just need to go back and uh pick up 67 before uh 68 which came out last week which i do have spares of so i do need 67 mm-hmm. uh so that's amazing spider-man uh i see a little heroes reborn tie-in has uh has done it for you this week as well it has it has and it it's marvel double action uh which is uh by by tim seeley and uh on script, Dan Jurgens on pencils and, and Scott Hannan Inker. So it's a fairly it's a fairly high powered team there and, and a team with a, with a lot of pedigree. And so it's it's Marvel Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action. It's a one shot and it 
to me, it has been the standout issue of Heroes Reborn. And this team worked very hard, very successfully to make the altered universe of Heroes Reborn appear to have a history as deeply rooted and rich as that of the 616 Marvel Universe. With this story that is apparently set in the 70s, complete with letters page and adverts for comics that don't and have never existed. And what it does is, in effect, they've inserted Nighthawk, who is the Batman analogue in Squadron Supreme, into the role of Spider-Man and Falcon into the role of his sidekick, but also into the role of Gwen Stacy in a clever remake of the death of Gwen Stacy, the classic story where Green Goblin pushes Gwen Stacy off the bridge and Spider-Man shoots a web, catches her, her neck breaks, she dies. It's it's fantastic stuff. And I I don't know, it just it looks so good. Just the way Dan Jurgens pencils, he just he pencils like, you know, uh Maybe like like John Romita did the original, you know John John Romita Senior did back in the day, or and really looks at makes it look like the Spider-Man stories of that of that time, and you know it has all the the melodrama and and and, and script. It's a very script-heavy book. There are thought bubbles, Alan. They have thought bubbles. Uh, no, I you know, see why so, you love this book so much. Yeah, and but yeah, they still you know there's just wee things thrown in there. Gwen Stacy does does feature in this. But Sam Wilson very much sort of takes that takes that role, so they sort of twist it round, and you know we can see it's set in the, in the Heroes Reborn universe in the present. Phil Coulson, Phil Coulson is the president, but we see in this there's a, a ten dollar bill. It says in Mephisto we trust because Mephisto is the god that is worshipped, mm-hmm. uh, and and we see Nick Fury's face on the on the ten dollar bill. So I think Nick Fury has been president at the time the. You know, the Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, is classic Green Goblin in this, and uh, it just is. It's just, and uh, as he, Harry is in this, and he's in a coma, and uh, you know, we're, we see the backstory where Nighthawk was responsible for for Norman Osborn losing his memory and no longer realizing he was the Green Goblin, and and this he comes back to realizing he's the Green Goblin, and then plots his revenge against against the realizes who nighthawk is he knows his identity and he plots his revenge against them and that revenge is the is the death of uh the death of falcon and we also we also have a, an ode to the old spider mobile you know the old spider buggy in the form of the the hawk rod uh which nighthawk drives to the scene of the crime with and uh, throughout it there's advertisements as i say for comics that, that never existed and, and and all of this stuff but it was just a great great story really well done uh really fantastically well done and i think you know i i don't know that that necessarily heroes reborn as a as an event that has delivered on its promise it's a wee bit disappointing um maybe they just haven't given it the room to breathe that it needed uh i'm not i'm not sure it's it's yet to finish so i'll i'll not say too much but uh this is certainly Marvel Double Action Number One has certainly been the, the the standout for me, both for the quality of the story and the quirkiness of it, and also for a ridiculously great cover, making it look like a tattered old comic book. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 follows right through the story. You know the, that that uh, that idea of it being an old an older comic book. So one that really surprised me, Alan, uh, because not it wasn't a few weeks ago that. That I told you, I really wasn't interested in the Infinite Destinies uh, story that's running through the uh, the annuals, the Marvel annuals. Yeah, quite a unique uh, this, format for this, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it is, but it's an old format because Marvel have done this over the decades. They have, you know, in their annuals, they've they've run a story throughout all of their their annuals, and uh, you know, you've got larger format books that you know feature different characters crossing over. Um, I think that's the first time that Spider-Man and Speedball ever met, mm-hmm. uh, and that Speedball was created actually in an annual, if I if I recall. But yeah, so this is a, this is the Infinite Destiny storyline, which features the uh, the Infinity Stones. The Infinity Gems, as they're more properly called in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and this is the Iron Man Annual, uh, number one. It's by Jed McKay of Black Cat fame and uh, beautifully illustrated by Ibrahim uh, Robertson, uh, Rochelle Rosenberg on colours. And they, they, I guess I wasn't I wasn't interested in the storyline. I thought this is just, just going to be cheap. I can save myself some money here. Take me off all the annuals. Uh, and, and that'll be all right. And then this week I came back into Ian Setter, read that Iron Man annual, put me on all the annuals, including the Black Cat annual that I'm not on, and also can you get me Black Cat 8, 9, and 10 because part of the continuation of the story is in that. But this is uh, Iron Man, so we've got obviously Playboy, billionaire Playboy and genius industrialist, but the Infinite Destiny storyline, it says, born from the remains of an omnipotent being, the six Infinity Stones, when gathered and when gathered, Grant untold poor. It's a wee bit of a bugbear for me that they call them the Infinity Stones because that's what they started calling them in the in the movies, and they're actually the Infinity Gems. Uh, but anyway, they 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 Grant untold power. They have wiped out half of the life in the universe and resurrected it. They have threatened to save the multiverse. They have threatened and saved the multiverse, and now they have been sent out to bond with individuals. No one knows why the stones bond with each bearer, nor what will happen if they are gathered. Will the story you're about to read reveal another stone bearer or give a clue to a cosmically mysterious intentions of the most powerful artifacts in the reader in the universe? Read on, true believers. So it's great. It starts out with Iron Man. You know, it stars Iron Man. It features uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and it ties into Saladin Ahmed's series, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and it's penned by Black Cat's Jed McKay. And as I say, it represents a total changing of my tune. Uh, brilliant storytelling. Got me excited enough, as I say, to, to to put all those annuals back on my pool list, plus three extra issues of of Black Cat. I mean, Jed McKay is a, is a great storyteller. We start off with uh, Mole Man's Moloids, a new generation of them who are uh, attacking uh, attacking Brooklyn, which right. is the home of, now, of Just to clarify here, these, these are big words. I mean, Stephen said this was the best three or four opening pages of a comic book he's read in years. Now, th- those are big. Those are big words. Those are big words. Uh, I'm not going to stand by him on that uh, (laughs) because there's some great stuff out there, but very, very entertaining. And and the idea that this generation of Moloids has never had a Moleman invasion to be an army in. And so they're like, they've grown up on uh, daytime TV and reruns of of, uh, Sex and the City and and a whole lot of other, you know, uh, TV shows. um, Seinfeld and all of those TV shows. So, Iron Man and, and Miles Morales team up in order to, to try and, and get them under control. Uh, it's a problem that, that Tony Stark solves with his money rather than his fists. But I guess they're having a bit of it. They're having sushi on the roof. And, and, and Spidey relates the story from Miles Morales' Spider-Man. There was this, I guess, uh, villain called the Assessor who captured Miles and uh, did a lot of tests on him, ran ran him until his heart was fit to burst, gassed him, froze him, shocked him, cut on him until his body nearly gave out and then he, he escaped. But there was, you know, this is a tech, the assessor's clearly a tech guy and and Tony Stark is the ultimate tech guy. So Tony is kind of annoyed, you know, upset that 
someone possibly of his ilk, you know, as a former and an ashamed creator of weapons is, is doing this, the kids in Brooklyn, and so goes after the assessor, um, you know, and, and uh, in doing so meets, uh, meets Quantum, who is a, a character that was associated with the assessor that can teleport. And uh, in this, we find out a little bit more qu about Quantum. Quantum is powered by the Space Stone, I believe. Uh, I think it's the Space Stone, but uh, one of the Infinity Gems, yeah, the Space Gem. So this character, this is a character we've met before. There's a number of other characters that we've met before who we didn't realize were powered by the Infinity Stones, including Star, who has appeared in, in Captain Marvel. But yeah, just a great story as the Assessor sort of tests Iron Man and Iron Man relates all of this stuff back to his history and it was just it was just a great it was just a really solid story a really solid superhero story and uh, i'm really interested now in, in where it's going next it also includes a backstory called infinite fury also by uh, also by jed mckay which featured which features nick fury and it appears there's going to be uh, eight parts to that story uh which is which you're gonna it's gonna run through all of the all of the other annuals so Captain America Annual, Black Cat Annual, Amazing Spider-Man Annual, Thor Annual, Miles Morales Annual, Guardians Annual, and the Avengers Annual um, throughout June, July, and August. So, as I say, change of tune, really solid story, uh, really interested to see what happens next, to be introduced to these new characters, and uh, and even the backstory was interesting. And I'm now going, yeah, I should have listened to Stephen all this time and been on the Black Cat book, because Jed McKay is quite the writer. He is clearly sage and wise beyond his years, it would appear. Yes, and you're still still not convinced? I'm just not an Iron Man guy. I don't know if I ever will be. Uh, I'm on a couple of those titles with the annual, so maybe it might be worth giving it a go to. It. I know it's kept in America this week for the Infinite Destinies annual. So, who knows? Maybe I'll jump on it. Maybe I'll jump on it. You will. You will read the first six <laughs> issues of Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man run. You, 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 all, you all can see this. He's doing his Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of, mm -hmm. you know. It's, uh, it's hard to draw you're looking for signal. I'm, I'm going to make sure of it because you know a quality writer. Follow creators. Well, this Alan. is very, very true. Very, very true. <laughs> um, one last, last Marvel one then. Last Marvel book, also an Iron book, but it's an Iron Fist book. Uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number six, by uh, by Larry Hama. Uh, on, uh, Larry Hama, who's, always, always, as you know, the, the G.I. Joe veteran, the legend, uh, Dave Watcher and uh, Niraj Menon on colours. This was really interesting. This is the last of the six-issue miniseries uh, by Larry Hama and had a low-key shock ending for Iron Fist fo fans following what turned out to be an action-packed six-issue miniseries. So, series chock full of action and heart and lovely art by Dave Watcher. The, the plot was so dynamic that it was one of those books that was sometimes a little hard to follow between issues, but this last issue slows it down a bit. You've got Danny Rand, Luke Cage, Okoye of uh, Black Panther, Dora Malaji fame, uh, Pai, who is uh, Iron Fist's apprentice, uh, the the little dragon, uh, Gork, who is her pet and a reincarnation of uh, Shaolu, uh, Shu Dao, who is the, the dragon that gave, that gave the Iron Fist parts to Danny in the first place. And uh, they're teamed up against uh, the final stand against the, the evil... Hierophant. To cut a long story short, in order to defeat the final big bad, Okoye has had to go against the group's beliefs and understandings and harvest the hearts of the remaining dragons of the heavenly cities. She doesn't have enough power and the little dragon, the baby dragon Gork, volunteers his heart and his life to give 
Akoye the power that she needs to defeat the Ghost Dragon. However, that's why she's able to defeat the Ghost Dragon uh, with the with the little dragon's additional power. It's still not enough to defeat the Hierophant. So Danny bequeaths her the power of the Iron Fist, turning Akoye into a superpowered warrior to defeat the Big Bad. And then the shock ending. Akoye gives offers to give the Iron Fist power back to Danny. And he sort of says, no, you keep it. I was a terrible Iron Fist. And Akoye doesn't want it either, so they, they dump the Iron Fist chi into a dragon egg that will be reborn as the new Gork, who is also Shu Lao, the young version of Shu Lao. So it was just totally... So that, goodbye, Iron Fist. You know, there's there's obviously places they can go with the story, but I was just like, what, what? What? Because, I mean, Iron Fist is one of my one of my favorite Marvel characters by everything that he's in. Uh, so I thought, okay, are they, are they going to, is Okoye going to be the, the new Iron Fist? Cause she was pretty cool looking with it. Uh, you know, she had a, she had the dragon tattoo on her bald head, uh, which was, was glowing with the power as well as having the Iron Fist. But it was just, you know, now it leaves us, it's an, it leaves us in an interesting place because Shu Lao was the, was the dragon that, that Danny ran once he had finished his trials, plunged his, plunged his, his hand into the, into the, the fiery heart of the dragon and it became onto a fist of iron and he, he learned he, he gained the dragon's chi. So I guess that's now free for anybody to take once the dragon hatches, but for now are we without a are we without an iron fist in the in the Marvel universe? I'm not sure if I'm good with it. <laughs> but at least it went out on a high for the moment, no? It was it was definitely not what I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I, I certainly sat right at the end going, What? you know so bit of a shock as an iron fist fan for sure have this image of you sitting reading it just letting out a loud no <laughs> not too far from the truth <laughs> yeah i mean i have all the issues of this it was they seem to be in about three different places based on how i brought my pull list home because issue two and four were in vicky's box and three was by my side of the bed and five and six were in a different pile so i've actually just collected them all together so i'll sit down for a wee binge read i mean i started collecting it just because the variant for issue one was by david Aja, who's mm -hmm. one of my favorite artists so uh i picked that up and read the first issue so which then of course brings us on to the indie honorable mention so just a few ones to go through this week a couple that i read myself that maybe i can convince keith into but We'll kick things off with one I definitely don't need to talk him into, but if we haven't talked you guys into it yet, we don't know what we're doing wrong. How good is Firepower? Oh, that's oh, absolutely brilliant. A brilliant, you know, this is Firepower number 12. An oversized uh, so 12th yes. issue spectacular. Yes, exactly that. The end of the 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 third arc. Yeah, I, I, I always wonder, do we call it the third arc or do we call it the second arc? And then that was just, you know, the, the prelude, you know. But yeah, in terms of graphic novel numbering, I looked at the spines in, in the store before I left. This is the end of the third arc. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're basically finishing it off with, uh, as I said before, a massive double-sized issue full of great art, full of great character moments, full of heart. Uh, a lot of good humor in it as well. I mean, I particularly enjoy when he's trying to bring the statue to life. And uh, mm -hmm. it's like, arise. And then like a little, arise. It's too late. <laughs> he already spoke the, uh, nothing's happening. Um, so yeah, so we're basically in the culmination of everything that's gone before. This is the big massive battle with the Scorched Earth clan. You know, it's, uh, you've got Wei Lun by his side. You've got Owen basically rushing to 
be the big hero and in a weird way they don't have to do very much yeah i mean it's as, as you say it's the scorched earth clan versus the the temple of the flaming fist temple of the flaming fist was previously uh, owens uh, martial arts school you know where he learned under under way way lin and but he's now previously thought the scorched earth were the the enemy but now he has he has joined them we've got ling zan who's owens former lover long thought dead fighting alongside him uh, Ma Guang has appealed to his former temple allies to show them that they have been misled by Chao Feng and uh, who he's overwhelmed Chao Feng, who's the, the duplicitous leader of the, the, the Temple of the Flaming Fist, has been overwhelmed by the combined attacks of Wei Lun and Chen Zul, uh, Ling Zan's father. And he attempts, as you say, to, to resurrect the statue of, of Master Shaw. And God, there's so much to, to love in this issue. There's, I mean, I love the scene where you know Chai Feng, knowing he was beaten, uh, you know, went into the, 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 the temple, the room of the, the dragon to try and wake the dragon, and, and, and couldn't do it, and then dived into the, the, the pool in the middle of the dragon room that we last saw in the uh, original graphic novel, and uh, Owen and uh, and Lun dive in and follow, and they, they swim downwards deeper and deeper, only to resurface. You know, down below, which is we it was a weird twist of, 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 of physics and I loved how whenever they're fighting uh Chow Feng on the you know, in the lake, uh, on the on the island, the I don't know if you noticed, but the, the attacks they were using and the, the stances they were using mirrored whenever they were uh they were training in the original graphic novel, whenever they were they were trying to to muster the firepower against the statue of uh of, of Master Shaw. So it just it, it mirrored that as well. And then there's the, as they're leaving the island, the foreshadowing of the dragon scales beneath the sand. So maybe the dragon's there after all. And it's just, it's just even though we're 12 issues in an original graphic novel, and it feels like we're just getting started. Very much so. Very much you so. There's know, so uh, much to explore in this book. You know, great family dynamics. You know, it's Kirkman has this skill as well. Like, Usually, for example, in in relationships in in fiction and in real life as well, there's always a steady relationship and then a bad guy who's trying to ruin it. I don't feel it in this. This is like one of the most purest love triangles of all time, because obviously <laughs> Ling Zan Owen didn't know she was alive. There's there's such clear longing and brilliant art and character work. There's an amazing scene um, where Owen basically knows where she's going to be, and it's the first time after the battle he's had a chance to talk to her and. You know, talk things through and oh I buried your ashes here those weren't my ashes it's all very cold and very clinical but then obviously that longing look as they're separating and you know she's tears in her eyes so you know that hasn't finished yet but at the same time you're very happy for Owen and the new life he's made his wife's kick ass and you know has this wonderful family with the two kids and so forth and great yeah. grandparents as well because they always yeah. make a fun appearance but and, and peanut butter and peanut oh, I should never forget about the dog, should I? Should never forget about the dog. But yeah, it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful series. Just great characters, great world being set up, tons of directions it could go in mm -hmm. as and, well. I mean, I'm really because the, the the family have all been training in uh, in martial arts, you know, both under under Owen and under his wife, but but also at the uh, the, the the scorched earth clan. Mm -hmm. So they're they're attacked and they defend uh, themselves against the. The, the snake uh, person that the, the dropped out dropped out of the plane with Owen and uh, they're all they're all sort of getting to be badass martial arts practitioners you know the whole family so I'm really looking forward to seeing some more Johnson family martial arts action and <laughs> you know now that 
that Owen's life and history have been laid bare to his entire family. Uh, you know, the only secret really is Ling Zan, uh, which could be one. But then also, you know, what about the serpents? Uh, what's going on there? These these serpents and the one that was up in the Master Shaw statue is at the closing. It was there's loads that I'm really looking at. I feel like Robert Kirkman's only getting started, but but the RC Coda was pretty cool as well. You know, the the uh, the, the the meeting, the interview that that Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney have at the end of every issue where they talk yeah. about their creative process. Kirkman loves it, Samney hates it. But in this one, they were talking to Jason uh, Manzoukas, who will be better known to you for a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, he is Pimento in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's also become a friend of Robert Kirkman and, a, and another player in his universe. He's the, the voice of Rex Splode in Invincible and... It was really nice to read uh, an extra person in the interview at the end who's just a fan, who's not really a comic industry person, so to speak. Obviously, has you know acted in, in much other things, but it is impossible not to read that RC Coda in his strained pimento voice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's got such a an interesting voice, but it's really nice to find out that he's a comic nerd. Yeah, really good banter at the start as well, where he's. He's like, oh, this this book's amazing, and Kirkman's like, yeah, it's the writing, isn't it? He goes, I'll be honest with you, Robert, I just take a Sharpie out and score out all the words and look at the pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, he's definitely a friend of the artist, to say the least. But yeah, that's the kind of thing that great gives Kirkman books good value as well, because they're always great stories, and you never feel shortchanged there. But you look at the likes of Walking Dead Deluxe with the background matter and the look into his creative process and... The original pitches and the original letters like there's always value to Kirkman's single issues as well he's he's just someone who loves the medium so but I'll be just curious to see with Firepower I mean he's he's proven it with Invincible 144 issues Walking Dead 193 issues who knows how long this could be you know so mm-hmm. longer the better and, and they don't seem to skip a beat either I mean the next issue is joined in July so yeah. it's it's not like yeah. it's uh we're taking six months off here's the graphic novel we'll be back soon July july 27th i think is in the back of the issue so but yeah just wonderful title if you're if you're coming late to firepower as, as keith said that's the end of the the third arc so the third graphic novels due out in the next month or so and we've got the uh the first graphic the origin story so to speak uh and then we've got the other uh graphic novel in stock as well very much as a store stalwart of a title so yeah just a couple of uh honorable mentions just to throw out things that i've been reading I, I know keith's not on but these were a couple that made a, a big impression on me this week. So the first one is called Out of Body. This is a new murder mystery from Aftershock Comics, which is a, a comic label I find myself coming more and more to at the moment. Uh, this is written by Peter Milligan, you know, becoming a big fan of his, especially after the recent American Ronin for AWA. You know, he's he's definitely a big ideas man, and this is another number one that starts really strongly. So the main character in this is called Dan Collins, who wakes up in a hospital bed, his life hanging by a thread. And he must, and he's able to utilize astral projection to find out how he ended up in that bed, who was responsible, and what he can do about it. He's able to do this by essentially psychic linking with a mystic who will help him and will carry out his actions in the real world. So she can essentially hear his voice, and you know he can guide her, and she'll carry it out for him. Uh, really beautiful artwork for the first issue. Uh, it's by Anaki Miranda, and there's a, an acid sequence in particular that's just visually astounding. Uh, and a really intriguing story as well for the first issue so this is something i'm definitely going to stick with uh so yes that's out of body number one and then as sure as the sun will rise i will bang (laughs) the drum for deadly class once again uh so we're hitting the issue 46 of deadly class uh another fantastic issue that deals with 
a couple of different situations and a few different time frames. You know, Deadly Class is a title that started off in the 80s. Uh, so part of this series, uh, part of this issue is set in 1997, which we know by a beautiful title sequence that I'm just going to hold up to Keith right here. And can he tell me what came out in 1997? Oh. <laughs> so it's a double page spread of 1997 with a very young Kate Winslet being held by a very young Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. Uh, so yeah, so one of the stories is set in modern day uh, with established characters such as Marcus, Jayla, Todoese and Zelian Helmet. And they're actually all just chilling out. They've managed to escape Keen's Dominion and set up a normal life. But Marcus, of course, is the one person who can't leave it behind. And he's there asking for their help and tying up some loose ends. But the meat of the book is actually a flashback. This is all new information. This was fantastic to read. It's a flashback to the last day of term. And there's a thing in Deadly Class called the Night of the Rats. And what that is, is all the freshmen are basically sent out into the city. And all the established uh, assassins, the ones who are a year or two older than them, as part of their training, have to go out into the city and kill the rats. So it's called the Night of the Rats. And in the original Deadly Class, Marcus was one of those rats, but he manages to survive and then, you know, ascend the levels. But in this, he actually intervenes. And it's not the freshman he's hunting. He's wanting to take King's Dominion down. And it's it's an amazing sequence, a brilliant, brilliant sort of conclusion for a long-term reader like myself. But the only thing I'll say is Deadly Class is as great as ever, you know. But so many loose ends are starting to be tied up. I'm slightly worried here as a fan that this series is nearing its end. And I really hope not because I've already had to deal with the show ending before it's time. I, I, I can't deal with this as well. Just keep it going, Mr. Remender, please. As long as you I can. Mean, I was going to ask you just there is, there, is there a natural end to this? Uh, because it certainly doesn't seem like the sort of thing that that they maybe could or would want to keep open-ended. I mean, uh, for me, it's always been Marcus's journey from the very, very start. So the, the story's going to begin and end with him, I think. I I don't think there's going to be a point where, you know, Marcus passes away and then a new generation comes on. They've already done the new generation thing in Deadly Class where they brought on a new uh, a new course of freshmen, so to speak, and and Marcus in the original clan were were the older, more experienced ones. But yeah, it just it feels like a lot of loose ends are being tied up. So I I do get a feeling this is going to hit issue fifty and finish. Oh really? I was going to say because fifty seems to be approaching, you know, and it's a nice round number. Yeah, um, that it is. But... We shall see. We shall see. But uh, I'll I'll reveal exclusively here for the first time that I finally relented and bought something I've been wanting to buy for about five years at this point, and it's on its way. And it's an original page from Deadly Class. I finally Ooh. indulged uh, uh-huh. an original page of Wes Craig's artwork that has at least five of the main characters on it. Uh, Class. So I'll look forward to that arriving. It's a it's a book I've read the first twelve issues of, so I've got a wee bit of catching up to do. But there's, I mean, I I, I will. I certainly will. I, I there's I didn't I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I just uh, you know have have a load of stuff to read, but I'll definitely got the first two trades and I'll I'm, I'll pick up the rest. I'm quite sure. Yeah, de- definitely worth doing. It's just brilliant storytelling and and again, I'm just abs- I mean, it's your kind of book as well because there's so many music opinions vented through it in the '80s and '90s. Music Marcus is a bit of a a music snob who thinks his taste is amazing and everybody else's mm-hmm. is terrible. So it's uh it's worth getting through for that as well. So, but yeah, that was the latest issue and definitely worth an honourable mention this week, which is Deadly Class number forty six. So that is going to bring us then to picks, or is that pick of the mm. week? It is a standoff this time. There there are times that we think there are books that stand out the most to us, and we'll usually 
one of us will say to the other, all right, you take it and I'll pick something else. Now, to me, that is maybe slightly counterintuitive when something stands out so much. And this week, I think we, we were probably going to get in a fight over who would pick this. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the last time that this uh, this particular set UK edition came around was, I believe, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' Pulp OGM, uh, where we, uh, and I think it was it was a, a three-part agreement between yourself, myself, and Ronnie. Um, so, you know, whenever we land on something that is, uh, we're, we're both picking the same thing, that, that we really mean it. So, uh, you want to make the big reveal, Alan? Well, the big reveal this week is that we have a, a joint pick of the week, and that is the nice house on the lake. So this is a, believe it or not, and Keith is still processing this fact, this is a DC book. Uh, the first One of the first things you said after reading this was, how is this a DC book and not an image book? And I know exactly what you mean by that, simply because it's so dark, it's so far removed from any superhero storytelling of any kind. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think if Vertigo still... It still existed. It would have been a lot easier to process as a Vertigo book, which kind of, in a way, is what DC Black Label is in all but name, I suppose. But mm-hmm. so this is a, a brand new number one. This is by James Tinney the Fourth. So as ever, we always say follow the creators. And there's probably not a hotter writer in terms of his output at the moment uh, in comics than James Tinney. And everything seems to be a home run. Uh, you have Alvaro Martinez Bueno on art as well, and. Jordy Belair on colors, which is is always important. And it looks like it's going to be 10 issues. It, it says book one on the front, but it also has 10 symbols underneath the title with what looks like a different one will be illuminated for every issue. And uh, whenever you get into the book, you realize what those, what those symbols mean uh, and what they refer to. And uh, whenever, whenever I was in store, there was a there was a, a bit of a, a bit of a juggle between the uh, the Martin Simmons variant cover, obviously mm-hmm. the the uh, the artist on on the Department of Truth, who I very much enjoy, and and the cover A, and I landed in the cover A because of the ten symbols and the one of them being highlighted. And I thought that is that's going to be significant to this book, so I couldn't I couldn't look past that that particular motif uh, and picked up the A cover, which is normally where I go anyway. But Martin Simmons is. You know, quite the quite the artist. Well, this is it. You were actually walking towards the counter because I'll always put cover A's in people's pull lists unless they they ask otherwise. And but I'll always say if there's spares on the on the racks of variants. And I did say to you, and I think you had just sat down cover A and had picked up cover B. And then I sort of said, no, there is that ten symbol motif. <laughs> okay, I'll stick with cover A. You know, talk talk myself out of a sale there. But yeah, the thing with this book was it can be sometimes hard to be surprised by a comic book in a way. And what I mean by that is we obviously we read previews, we try to let you guys know what's coming out, we get a sense of what titles are about. But it's interesting for Nice House on the Lake because we they, they didn't reveal an awful lot in previews and I never sought out material. The way I'd looked at it was, maybe it's just based on my movie watching over the years, but a title like that, that says to me this is going to be a slasher book. Ooh. So you get into this book and you start being introduced to all these different characters and you're like... Here's standard, traditional, you know, slasher movie format. We're going to be introduced to each one of these characters. One of them's going to be the killer. One of them's going to be taking them out one by one. Oh, this is so formulaic, you know, that sort of thing. A beautiful looking book, but formulaic. And then you get halfway through it and holy moly, it just changes like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was exactly the same. Went in knowing, knowing nothing other than, you know, James Tinian and, and everything he puts his hand to being golden. Um and I'm I'm glad 
we've both adopted that that approach in it. I mean, I guess the other thing is is uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno's art was on the it was Justice League Dark and Detective Comics during Rebirth, I think. And mm -hmm. he's a fantastic artist, so you've got great pedigree on here. So what's what's not to like? You know, follow follow your creators, and 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 you'll find yourself you'll find yourself here. And then, you know, the interesting thing. The design in this book, so that the lettering was by Andward Design, and there's much more than just lettering. Not not that I'm taking down the idea of, of lettering, but mm -hmm. there's much more than just lettering going on in here. You know, the the emails. There was emails that were were sent to the characters. That the characters number ten, which which should maybe connect to uh, the uh, the motifs that we were talking about, the little the mm -hmm. little sigils. Um, and we know that the you know as you read the book you 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 you're introduced to each of the characters uh, through a data file, um, and 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 they're assigned a an alias such as the writer the comedian yeah and a, and a related a related motif so that was that was that was pretty cool but anyway please continue no not at all I mean it's it's almost in a weird way an interesting title to review without giving stuff away but. But as you say, what's really interesting is the confidence that just goes through this book. You know, the the layouts are fantastic. The art is brilliant. But as you say, it's not afraid to intersperse, you know, like an email or a, a JPEG file with a photo on it or, you know, a, a full page that is essentially like a prose email for you to read. But it's so important to the story. And then it starts to factor in a couple of pages of social media stuff to let you know what's going on in the world. I mean, this this is the big sort of rug pulled under you moment, and you're actually fi you're actually finding it out at the Ooh, same time yeah. as the characters. <laughs> That's what's so good about it. You literally have this double page spread. So to give you some sort of background, you've got all these characters, as Keith was saying. You know, they've been given code names: the writer, the comedian, and at some point in their life, they met this person who invited them to this house. The, Walter, wasn't it? The, uh, yes, indeed. The aforementioned nice house on the lake, and they've all like they've all met him t for different degrees. One of them met him two years ago. One of them met him one year ago. So you're carefully trying to pick the pieces of this as you're reading it, going, "What is it that links these people together?" And then they're all just enjoying this absolutely amazing house, which is, as I say, the nice house on the lake. But it's, you know, it's got everything you can think of. It's got beautiful views. It's got it's comfortable furniture. It's got. <laughs> I mean, Keith, this must be difficult for you as someone who's trying to buy a house right yeah, now. Yeah, it, How can yeah, anything exactly live up that. to this? It is, it is absolutely, you know, this this absolutely high spec, beautiful mansion in this lovely forest by this lovely Sylvan Lake, and it's uh, just just phenomenal. And it, you know, as you say, the characters all arrive variously at this lake house. Our point of view character initially is Ryan, who is uh, the artist. And uh, having received an email from from Walter, she's an invited guest, and we we start with Ryan, I guess, recounting the events of the night that she she met Walter. Yeah. First of all, and it's it's really a it's a I suppose it's what they call on a TV show a cold open, isn't it? Um, and you know she met him, and he, he was talking about you know her apocalypse, you know, and, uh, you know, you know how we often talk about, yeah, an off the cuff conversation, yeah, yeah, zombie apocalypse or, you know, what we would do, you know, or that. And, you know, she's arriving there, but it's also interspersed with, uh, what looks like her and, you know, uh, wrap with a bandage wrapped around her head and the whole background and fire. And, you know, she, she, this, this version of Ryan seems to be the, the narrator, uh, really, really intriguing, really tense from the start. And I mean, Tinian 
manages this army of characters, these 10 characters that are introduced to us while in some cases been introduced to, to one another, in other cases having already known one another. And the little data files that we see, I had assumed were were, were Walter's files on when he had met them, what cluster they were from, whether they were from his high school cluster or his university cluster or People social cluster. New York, yeah, that kind you know, of thing. And then he really mysteriously notes when they were chosen. And that just that just ups the sinister level. Yeah. Ups <laughs> the know, creep creep factor. Yeah, the creep factor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much of this we want to we want to spoil. But uh, well, this is it. I mean, we're we're even moving our format back extra weeks so we could spoil things. But this just this just caught us so unaware that so you don't want to ruin that for people uh, in terms of. But but suffice to say, just when you reach the midpoint of the book. Walter turns up, everyone's relaxing in the house, they're all getting to know each other, turns up, you know, oh, I'm glad you came, right, who wants to test out the steaks on the grill, everything's groovy, everything's fun and relaxed, and then as I say, there's the the next scene is them all relaxing by the pool, different conversations, looking at the stars, loving life, and then you find out what is actually going on, and there's this, the art for this is fantastic, it starts out (laughs) on a wide shot, and then just comes in bit by bit, by bit right up to the eyes and the hand covering the mouth what the holy shit no and then you get was what is a very modern reveal i thought as well you know it would have been easy to do a splash page here to show you what was going on but what they actually do is they show you what is akin to say four different twitter feeds and one of them is for home one of them is current events one of them is new york one of them is nyc and you just see all these different people saying what is happening in the world, and the panic you get from these two pages, based on what's <laughs> was, happening, yeah, is phenomenal. Palpable, you know, as you know, the world outside of of where they're at appears to be on fire. The sky is on fire. People's people are people's skin is, is is being pulled off, and they're pulling it off in sheets, and it doesn't even hurt. Feels like pudding. My skin is ticking to the phone as I as I type this. Uh, you know. Something's in the sky is on fire. There's something behind the fire. The color of the fire hurts your eyes. My ears just started bleeding. The sky outside turned red. Is this Russia? You know, the president is already dead. There's no America left. Get underground. And uh, the BBC breaking news. Firestorm of unknown origin destroying New York City. No response. And then one in particular that stands out a little bit eh? yeah very much so a nice little uh nod and a wink to an, a certain other james tinian title we talk plenty about uh a character you may recognize a mr cole turner uh he of the parish of department of truth they fucking knew this was coming they've been preparing for it for years and i love how this is interspersed as well with people going ah this is all fake this is this is some you know promotion for a dumb movie you know there's there's always people who won't believe that this is actually what's happening so Again, I don't know how much more to speak about the next few pages because the amount of questions this throws up, the interesting scenario it is building here is off the charts. Like it's, And then the art takes a turn as well. You know, it goes from this really warm down by the pool, lots of blues, lots of soft oranges. You know, it then changes to like this black and white bleak nature. You know, it's all very watercolor art as well. The expressions are superb but you've still got walter cool as a cucumber they they do this great detail where you never see his eyes he's wearing a pair of glasses 
and you just see them as white. It almost reminds Ooh. me of something like Sin City, that sort of effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. The whole the look of the thing, the the design of the thing, the writing of the thing, being able to uh, introduce ten characters, eleven characters, and by the end feeling fairly comfortable who they are. You know, I haven't seen that done. It took a wee bit longer for Scotty Young to do it in Strange Academy, mm-hmm. uh, or what they're doing in Team Titan. You know, those whenever you have those a large number of characters that you're being introduced to in one one issue, that that's a phenomenal job. Yeah, and to to actually sort of feel at least some connection to them and 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 feel the fear they're feeling. And Jordi Belair is just, you know, she's Eisner Award winning. We've talked about the Eisners in the last episode, and uh, she's just flawless. I mean, she's the hardest working colorist in in comics, really. You know. Um, just the whole thing just is designed and framed beautifully, uh, and I don't know, very very strong opening issue in a series. Then I mean, there 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 have been some great strong opening issues, and some of them have been from James Tenney in this year. Even you know what I mean? It's uh, but this is pretty. You know the 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 there's a bait and switch here. You know in the the bait is really high concept stuff and then the switch you know takes it and turns it into something that feels normal and then into something that's just totally unexpected and uh, you know that what, what is this 12 issues uh, i think it's going to be 10 issues just yeah right okay 10 or 10 or 12 i thought i'd read somewhere it was 12 but i mean either way that's that's long form storytelling that's the long form treatment and yeah where he's going to push this, where he's going to push this from this issue, I just, I just don't know, but I'm really excited to find out. Yeah, big time. I mean, it was just such a pleasant surprise. And again, it's it's kind of hard in the modern world to be completely taken aback by a twist like that, that you haven't seen it in a preview somewhere or it's at the back of a, another DC book, like read the first four pages or whatever. Not that it would give anything away in this case, but there's something magic about that and it's something the likes of Kirkman always tries to do you know with his you know surprise releases of titles or surprise ending of the walking dead stuff like that and I I just got halfway through this and I turned the page and then I read it and then I turned the page back and went (laughs) yeah is this the same comic you know sort of thing yeah yeah yeah. so uh just amazing amazing storytelling I mean it's uh, if this continues at this level you know just give all the Eisners to them next year (laughs) <laughs> There's no reason to assume to assume that it won't. And Not if at you, all. so I mean, overall, if you're a fan of of Tinian's more recent work, you know, even the Department of Truth, something is killing the children. This will absolutely not disappoint. It's it's a it's kind of a mystery from the start. keeps you keeps you guessing, and then there's this bone chilling, horrifying ending that leaves you with way more questions to be answered with over the next the next few issues and it's it's just it's how you do it like it is how you do it and it, it, it's the start of what promises to be to be a really really stunning series there's nothing there's nothing negative i can really say about the the writing the, the look the feel the story other than the fact number two's not out yet <laughs> yeah i had that from quite a few people after they'd read the first issue that came in the next end they were like this is a weekly title, right? And I was like, no, no, no. I'm afraid not. Uh, I wish I could give you the whole thing now, but maybe not. But yeah, just thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful first issue. Uh, it's it's one of the biggest uh, first issues in terms of sales numbers for a DC title in years, which is in itself impressive. 
and it's already sold out at distributor level so i would imagine a second printing is not far behind and you, you don't want to miss out on this i mean normally for the store i'll order maybe five six maybe even seven extra you know copies for the racks i just had a feeling about this because of the because of tinian and i ordered 25 extra copies <laughs> and we were sold out within two days so uh you you want to get on this if you can but yeah thoroughly brilliant nice house on the lake jameson in the fourth alvaro martinez bueno and jordi bel air so that was our pick of the week then for the 2nd of June. We'll finish off as we always do with the titles that we're looking forward to next new comic book day, which is titles coming out on the 9th of June. So three titles for me that stand out. The first one is Joker number four. So this is for me one of DC's best series at the moment. This is James Tenney in the fourth on writing duties and oh, hey. uh, Gia March on Art. Uh, uh, we were left with a cliffhanger in the last issue with James Gordon uh, basically finding the Joker, holding a gun to his head. But then the compound they were in was under attack. So looking forward to that. We also have Eve number two hitting this week. Thought this was a really strong number one from Boom Studios. Written by Victor Laval and art by Joe Migyong. Uh, so with this one is Will Eve escape the remnants of New York City in order to save her father and restore life to a dying planet. Accompanied by Wexler, Eve must stay one step ahead of the mutants stalking them who want to consume them. But when they are separated, she will discover that there are things even more terrifying in this new wasteland. And then the final issue that is top of my pile this week is the latest issue of Rorschach. This is Tom Keen and Jorge Fornes and Dave Stewart on colours. This is uh, a title that we've been just loving it uh, the more it goes along. It's been getting stronger and stronger. And for this one, it's the detective has found where the source of the tragedy began, where Laura learned to shoot, a place where she not only learned to kill but also has killed and where she brought Rorschach to turn him into an assassin as well. As the timelines crisscross, the man trying to undo this mess only falls deeper into it and it has a stunning cover as well. So those are my three. What about yourself? Great choices. I'm looking forward to every one of those. Um, for me, uh, The Good Asian number two, uh, whenever the first issue came out last month, I was stunned. Uh, writer is Pornsack uh, Pichichode. Uh, artist is Alexandra Tep. Kipengi, and the cover by Dave Johnson looks fantastic. The Chinatown noir keeps flipping the genre on its head as Edison Hart comes face to face with a killer and more suffering lost in soul than he'd ever imagined in Chinatown. Um, so that's the good Asian number two. Uh, Oblivion Song, Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felice's, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's like science fiction fantasy action epic is back with issue 31 as we move towards the final issue with issue 36 uh the kutal have invaded and earth is not prepared you know what i'm not going to read this because i know you're not on this and i know you <laughs> want to be on this uh but uh well nathan cole is the only person capable of standing up to the kutal forces but will he be enough this is the beginning of the final arc of what has been a phenomenal series by the always phenomenal Robert Kirkman. Um, and then lastly, it'll be the final issue of X-Men with X-Men 21, uh, part of the Hellfire Gala. Uh, it's a tie-in which uh, to the Hellfire Gala, which you've already heard me talk about tonight. The Heroes of Krakoa debut. We're seeing the debut of the changing of the guard as the first X-Men team of Krakoa debuts. Uh, one era ends as a new one begins and the handoff happens here. So this is this is Jonathan Hickman's uh, last issue with Sarah Pacelli on art. Uh, and I think uh, Nick 
Dragota is on it as well, and there's going to be variant covers there. But looking forward to uh, seeing what Jerry Duggan does with this whenever he, he takes it over next month following the Hellfire Gala. So that's my three. Uh, Good Asian number two, uh, Oblivion Song 31, and X-Men 21. Fine choices indeed. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Hickman leaves the X title before obviously passing along. He's staying on though as head of X, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Uh, I think he is. He certainly left his mark and, and uh, has has set the status quo that the X-Men will be following going forward. But given X-Men 20 and the return of, uh, uh, you know, Moira, Moira McTaggart, who was so central to House and Powers of X, I'd certainly yeah. like to hope that that story will be, will be seeing those, those things tied up and They've advertised Inferno as the next, I guess, X event, and I would say Hickman's probably leading leading that one. Yeah, I would say so. I think you're right there. So yeah, so those are the titles we're looking forward to most 9th of June release, and you can join us back next week where we will do our best to go through them and guide you through, guide you from the good from the bad. So uh, we will leave it for you there. Uh, as ever, any titles that we've been chatting about tonight appeal to, do get in touch or pop into the store, and we'll always get you sorted with them as best we can. So pleasure as always chatting with you, good sir, and uh, I will look forward to seeing you in store tomorrow for a new comic book day. Yay! I will see you then. Best day of the week. Take it easy, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah.